Hey, friends and family, welcome to Saturday Night Mosaic Church. Will you stand with us? Sing before the throne of God above.
This evening, uh, we want to extend to you a, a cordial and friendly welcome. My name is Chip, and I'm on staff for the training center here at Fellowship, and I'm also a member of Mosaic Fellowship in this congregation, and we're uh, glad that you're here. Uh, whether you're checking this thing out for the first time or you've been back uh, having visited before, it's always good to see you, and uh, you can check things out out at our uh, welcome booth out on the uh, concourse here in the atrium. And uh, we can connect with you and get you some guest info. And so uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, it's July 31st, last day of July. August is around the corner, and uh, things are ramping up uh, all across the planet right now. And no doubt things are going on here. We want to draw your attention to a few things that are going on. August 14th is a real big day. A couple of things we want to draw your attention to. Number one is our second service, which normally starts at 6.45 p.m. We're moving it up 15 minutes, and that really doesn't affect you unless you want to come worship that night. Uh, but it'll start at 6.30, so our two services on Saturday evening here will start at 5 and 6.30 uh, as of the 14th. Also on the 14th uh, is our promotion night. So uh, students uh, will be moving, and just a heads up, if you have children and or student ministry uh, folks, this is a night that you want to keep your eye on and be aware of that. Speaking of students, fall retreats coming up, Breakaway 2021, and uh, you see all the details there coming up in September. And uh, if you are a student and a parent thereof, take note. And uh, speaking of parents, uh, this Wednesday, August 4th, there's a parent meeting that... Uh, you don't want to miss, right, Scott? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Jones will take you there. Uh, so <laughs> I love you, man. Uh, it's good to know. Hey, uh, we're back in the uh, Thy Kingdom series. It's uh, every now and then throughout the course of this year, we have um, taken a break to focus on Thy Kingdom Come. And that's a good thing to do, particularly right now, just to re be reminded of where our real citizenship lies and what the real kingdom of God is all about, and as we are his people and a part of that. And so Doug Rains will lead us tonight in taking a look at the mission of God within the kingdom. If you were checking your email boxes and uh, fellowship media this week, you notice our elders have asked you to prayerfully consider something, and that is to... Uh, when we're inside together, if you could just bring a mask and put it back on, particularly if you're in children's or early childhood areas, it's just a precaution, it's not a mandate, it's just a request to prayerfully consider uh, as the COVID thing is on the rise again and things are going on in hospitals and classrooms and uh, offices. 
In fact, I have six friends who've been doubly vaccinated who came down with uh, the Delta variant here in the last two weeks. And so it's just a precautionary issue and don't take it as any kind of mandate. This is a grace place. You won't be shamed for wearing a mask and you're not gonna be shamed for not wearing a mask. Uh, it's all grace around here. But in uh, the idea of being prayerfully considerate, I just can't get away from Paul's writings here in Philippians chapter two. And he says, therefore, if, but actually in the Greek, it's since. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion. Then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And as the Delta variant is on the rise and things are going on and we're having to prayerfully consider about masking up wherever we go right now, we need to pray. We really do. And this is a great text to pray through. And so would you join me in prayer and just oh, with your eyes open and watching the screen, let's, let's pray this text together. Lord, we thank you that we have encouragement from being united with you. Thank you for the incredible comfort of your love. Thank you for the sharing that we have in the spirit and the tenderness and the compassion that is ours as a result of him. Thank you for how you bring us joy and you complete it, affecting us to be like-minded having the same love, that we are one in spirit and of one mind because of you. Lord, we yield, we pause. With all that's going on right now, with this pandemic and the variants that are out there, that we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, we will value others above ourselves not looking to our own interest, but to the interest of others. And looking to the interest of others. If you know someone who is sick right now, either in the hospital or quarantined, would you just lift them up in prayer? If you know of a healthcare professional who is overwhelmed and overtaxed, would you lift them up in prayer right now? If you know of school-aged children who return to school in the next few weeks, would you lift them up in prayer right now? Would you also lift up their teachers, faculty, and administration? Father, you are a relational God. Thank you for the relationship we have with you and with one another, and that indeed we can have the attitude and the mindset of Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand up with us and sing? Forever he will reign. 
Sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah. 
that death could not hold you. Lord, your grace is so big, so abundant. 
your mercy so new every morning. There's so many things about your name that we could just proclaim forever how much we love you, how good you are to us, how many gifts you give us, how present you are, how kind you are. Help us to glorify your name tonight. How to help us to love you deeper tonight. In your name, the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good evening, Mosaic. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Doug, and I just have a great privilege to be able to be a part of the, uh, the uh, staff team here that gets to lead and serve you guys. And so um, we're going to jump into a, a kind of a new series tonight. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray those words, taught his disciples to pray those words, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit chose to record those down through the ages for us as believers to, to, for our edification and for our teaching. And so as we pray for the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, what are we praying for? So we started uh, not quite a year ago, we started this Thy Kingdom Come series and decided we were just gonna kind of drop some pieces in throughout the year. And this is our third, uh, third segment in this series that's gonna go throughout the year. And, and we've talked about you know, the idea of the kingdom coming and the lordship of the king. We, we kind of landed on that to start with. And then we just walked through this prayer in our second segment uh, of how do we pray the prayer of the kingdom. And in this section, we're going to talk about kind of the mission of the kingdom. When we pray for God's will to be done, what are we asking to happen? So as we consider the will of God, we need to be careful that we don't try to condense all of God's purposes, plans, and works into a single statement. I've, um, I've been guilty of this myself, and I've read several things where, where scholars and theologians and Bible teachers have tried to say, the single theme of the Bible, the thing that God is doing is, and it just doesn't quite fit. Because God's doing a bunch of stuff. And God has a lot of things uh, that he cares about. So I don't, I don't want us to fall into that trap of saying, well, this is the thing that God is doing. This is one of the major things that God is doing. When we talk about his mission, because God is too big for, the, for everything about him and everything that he uh, is doing, his plans and his purpose and his works, he's too big to be condensed down to a simple statement. It took an entire book to tell us what it was all about. And we're still 2,000 years later studying it, trying to dig deep and understand it better. But what I do see is that there are some recurring themes within scripture that reveal to us God's heart. And out of his heart, we can begin to see some, some of his plans and his purposes and his works. And out of that, we can begin to see his mission. It's been said that nothing that God does is either accidental or incidental. God is intentional in all that he does. He moves on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose. So when we read in the Bible about what God has done, is doing, and will do, there's a real sense that we get that God is on a mission, that he's up to something, that he's moving and accomplishing and moving toward something. And one of those themes, those recurring themes that we run into in the Bible is that God's mission is to rescue, redeem, and restore his creation especially his people, from the effects of sin. So over the next four weeks, as we jump into this series tonight, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of mission. The mission as it relates to the kingdom. And first, tonight, we're going to be looking at the mission of God. What is the, the mission that God is on and has invited us into? Second, 
We're going to look at the people that God has raised up to be a part of this mission. And then the third, third week, we're going to look at the mission of the church and how God uses the church to carry out her mission. And then finally, we're going to look specifically at how God is using Mosaic. And we're going to tell some good stories about God using Mosaic on his mission. Now, whenever I teach the class Panorama of the Bible, I usually open it by describing uh, it, looking at the Bible as a single story, a single arching story from Genesis to Revelation. And the major themes of this story are just woven throughout the entire uh, story. And every good story always begins with once upon a time. And every good story always ends with happily ever after, right? That's just what we do. We write good stories once upon a time and happily ever after. And so as we kind of uh, tonight, as we look at the theme of the mission of God, I'm going to start with the happily ever after. Okay. So let's look at Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to read the first five verses. And I want us to begin with the end because I think it helps us to understand when we see how God completes it, it'll give us a picture of what his mission's been about all along. So Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This passage in Revelation shows us the culmination of God's uh, work and his plan coming to fruition. And it comes, to, it comes to fruition in a heaven and an earth where God and his people dwell together. And it uses the phrase that dwelling place of God is with man. And that word for dwelling place is the same word that's used whenever they talk about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was that tent that the Israelites had in the middle of their camp where the glory of the Lord would come and dwell, the dwelling place of God. And so whenever we talk about this, whenever they would talk about the tabernacle, it would, it would remind them of the presence of God. And so here we see in Revelation, it says, the dwelling place, the presence of God is with his people. But the tabernacle wasn't just a place of the presence of God. It was also the point at which God and his people met as his people came to worship. And so the dwelling place of God was not only the presence of God, but it was that place where God was worshiped, where he was adored, where he was exalted and praised. And so what he's telling us is when we read the end of the story, the fruition of God's plan, the completion of God's mission is that God is present with his people who are interacting with him in worship and adoration and love and praise. So God's plan has always been for mankind to live in a loving, worshipful relationship with him and then to fill the earth with people who love and worship him. So we have the picture of the end, the end of the mission completed. So with that picture in mind, I want us to go back and just look at some different passages throughout scripture where we see this theme of God's mission unfolding. So since we started at the end, Let's go to the beginning, the once upon a time. In the beginning, God created, and we read how God creates this and this and this and this, and then we come to the pinnacle of God's creation. 
And where at the very end of God's preparation, he finally then says, let's create man. And so he creates mankind. And he says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So the first thing that sets this piece of creation apart from all of the other creation is it is the only thing about which God says, let's make this like us. Let's make man in our image. And we could explore further. We could write, I mean, books have been written about what does it mean to be in the image of God. And, and I recommend you dig into that because there's so much incredible truth and identity that comes for us through that. But to, for our purposes tonight, I want us not to consider what it means to be in, in God's image, but why. Why did he make us in his image? He created us in his image for a purpose. And he hints at that purpose, actually, if we, whenever we go and read in chapter 2, where he kind of unpacks and expands the story of the creation of man and woman. And he says, I want to I create a companion for the man. And so he takes a piece out of the man's side, and out of that he fashions a woman to be his companion. To be with him for relationship with him. Because in order for there to be a connection and a relationship, there has to be an alikeness. I don't even know if that's a word. I just like it. I don't want to use it. There is an alikeness. In fact, when he brings the woman to the man, uh, and it really comes out when you read in, in, the, in the original language what the words that, that Adam uses, he brings the woman to the man and he said, I will call her woman, the Hebrew word is isha. Because she came out of man, the Hebrew word is ish. So basically what he's saying is, this one is like me. This one is like me. There had to be an alikeness, and he created the alikeness because there, the, the purpose was relationship. God created us in his image because he wanted relationship with us. We are designed and we are the only part of creation we're told about that is designed in the image of God for the singular purpose of a personal, intimate relationship with God Almighty. That was his purpose. That was his plan. He created us in his image. In fact, if we read in the story a little further, we read about a man and woman in the garden and God comes to walk in the garden with them. And the way the story is told, the implication is that this was something that was common or, or something that was normal. So God didn't just create them in his image to have relationship. He created them in his image to have close, regular fellowship with them. And then in uh, Genesis 1.28, after he creates them in his image, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The very first command that God gave to this creation, this, these image bearers that he created was, I want you to go make more of you. Fill the earth with people like you who walk with me. God designed this earth and designed us so that we could fill the earth with people who know him, love him, walk with him in worship and love. So God's saying to them, fill the earth with people like you who walk with me. What that tells me, God loves people. God loves people a lot. And God loves lots of people. He wanted an earth full of them. That's how many he wanted. So God loves us, his unique, special creation. He loves us. And he wants that relationship with us. But the man and the woman 
chose to disobey God. And as a result, they were no longer able to live and walk with God in the garden. And that close, intimate relationship was broken. And God comes to them and and he's dealing with that sin, that brokenness that came as a result of the sin. And and he tells them uh, all the things that are gonna happen because of it. But in that dealing with the sin, there's a promise that he makes. I'm going to fix it. All that you have broken in sin will one day be restored. And there's that promise. It's found in Genesis chapter three, and it's, it's often called the, the protevangelion, which is the, you know, the, the first gospel. And God promises. And that's where we see God launch out on this mission to rescue, redeem, and restore his creation. But as we move further into the story, the effects of sin just keep going broader and deeper until we get to Genesis chapter six where it says of mankind that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And again, you know, in, the, in the original language, it's just these, these words are just kind of stacked on top of each other. Only, evil, always, ever, continually. And sin just kept going deeper and deeper and broader and broader And one might wonder, reading that, is God really doing anything about this sin problem at all because it doesn't look like it? It doesn't look like he's fixing what's broken. It looks like what's broken is just getting more broken. And the cracks are just going deeper. And the effects are just rippling over and over and over. And then we read in verse eight about a man named Noah who found favor Or another way to translate that word is grace in the eyes of God. In all of this sin, there was one who found grace in God's eyes. And it goes on to describe Noah as being righteous and blameless and walking with God. Here was Noah living out in a broken way, but living out by God's grace. God's plan for mankind to walk with him. And so God reveals to Noah that he's going to judge the sinfulness of mankind, but he provides a way of escape for Noah and his family. God rescues Noah's family. And so we begin to peek into the mission, God's mission to rescue. So he rescues Noah's family from the destruction of the flood. And then he gives a command to Noah and his family That is the command he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Because God still loves people and he wants a lot of them. He's saying to Noah, fill the earth with people like you who are righteous and who walk with me. And after the flood, We see that even though God started over with Noah and Noah was righteous, sin is still present in creation. And as people multiplied and filled the earth, it wasn't with people who were righteous and walked with God. It was with people who were broken by sin. So we come in the story to a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. We know him better as Abraham because God changed his name later. And God tells Abraham that he's going to use Abraham to be a part of carrying out his mission. And we're told that Abraham believed what God was saying. He had trust. He had faith in what God was saying. And God said, that faith, that faith I will credit as righteousness on your behalf. And so Just like Noah was righteous because of the grace of God, Abraham, we find, is righteous because of his faith in God. And in Genesis 12, verses two and three, God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And notice the shift in language. Instead of a command like he gave to Adam and Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, 
He gives Abraham a promise. I will. I will fill the earth with people like you who walk with me in faith and I'll use you to bless the whole earth. And that's just what God does. From Abraham, uh, God raises up a people. A people become a nation known as Israel. And about 2,000 years later, out of this people of Israel, this nation of Israel, God brings the deliverer that he promised all the way back in Genesis chapter three, when he said, I'm gonna fix this. God brings the deliverer. He brings them, the Messiah, Jesus, God himself in the flesh, whose very name, Jesus, means God saves or rescues. He came to rescue. But as we see the ministry of Jesus unfold and the teachings of Jesus, we see God came, Jesus came to do more than just rescue. He came to die on behalf of our sin. He came to redeem what sin had broken. He came to redeem what sin had cursed. He came to redeem what sin had enslaved. So he came not only to rescue, God rescues, but he came to redeem our Savior. And so when Jesus had accomplished this this work of, of rescue and redemption through his death and resurrection, he gathered the disciples who had been following him through the years. And he gave them some instructions on how to continue carrying out the mission. And we read the language and it sounds kind of familiar. In Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I want you to go into all nations to the ends of the earth. And I want you to fill the earth with people like you. People like you who follow me in faith and obedience. And that's the mission of God today. To the ends of the earth till the end of the age. To the ends of the earth till the end of the age. God's mission is to go and make more people who know and love and follow Jesus. Several years ago, I had a chance to sit in a room uh, with a handful of, um, of men who, who, were, who were Muslims. I was, I was invited to visit in a mosque and we were sitting and having uh, uh, tea and biscuits. We were actually in the UK, so they weren't cookies. They, uh, they were biscuits. And we were just talking. And they, in, in the conversation, they said, well, what do you do? And whenever I travel uh, for my job as in global outreach, I, I usually answer that question. I rarely answer that question. I, I'm on staff at a church. It tends to kind of cramp things for, for our workers. Uh, so I said, I'm a teacher. And so the conversation uh, carried out. And finally I said, where do you teach? And what do you teach? And I went, oh, you got me. It would be a sin to lie. So I teach in my church and I teach the Bible. And they started elbowing one another. And it was the sweetest time with these men. And they said, hey, he's here to convert us. And I thought about that. And, and I, didn't, I wasn't able to give them this answer and I regret that. Because as I thought about that, I thought, what is it that I'm actually trying to do? I'm trying to fill the earth with people who know and love Jesus like I've come to know and love him. That's the mission of God. Which brings us back to the end of the story. In Revelation chapter seven, in verse nine, if you wonder this thing that we're doing, this great commission that he gave to his disciples to carry out, is it ever gonna work? Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. And after this, I looked, he's looking into heaven, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages to the ends of the earth, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There around the throne of God is a multitude of people who can't be counted, perhaps an earth full of people. From every place and every time on earth, from all the way back from Adam's day to the very last person who's going to come come to faith in Christ, surrounding the throne in loving worship of God. Those who have been rescued and redeemed from sin. And then our final picture is where we started in Revelation chapter 21. A new heaven and a new earth because God's mission is to rescue, to redeem, and restore. God made us to live on this earth, to be his image bearers on this earth, to walk with him on this earth, and he makes a brand new earth that's not scarred by sin, that's not broken by sin. The disease and the death and all the things that sin brought with it have been cleansed out. A new heaven and a new earth. And God has redeemed and restored all that sin has broken. That's the mission of God. God's mission is to fulfill his plan to have an earth full of people who live in loving, worshipful relationship with him. That's God's mission. So what I want us to walk away with tonight is this realization, this assurance, and the encouragement that comes from knowing that God has done, is doing, and will do everything necessary to complete his mission. And that mission is to rescue, to redeem, and to restore all that sin has broken. His mission stretches from eternity past to eternity future, to the ends of the earth, and to every one of us. God has done, is doing, and will do everything necessary to make that happen for you through Jesus. As you become someone who, by faith, like Abraham, find grace and become righteous like Noah and begin to walk with him in loving, worshipful relationship. So I want you to just take a minute and and I want you just to think about the mission of God as it relates to you. It's not all about you, but you're a significant part of it. As you think about what's been broken by sin in your life, for you personally, for the world that you live in and and walk around in, what's been broken by sin? What are you longing to see, to be rescued from? What are you longing to see redeemed And what are you longing to see restored? Would you bow your heads with me? Would you take a moment and just talk to God about that? And it may be your own heart that you're just saying, God, sin has my heart and I need you to rescue me from sin. And so by faith, I believe that what Jesus did can break the power of sin over me. And so I trust in his death and his resurrection to rescue me and to redeem me from sin. And Lord, by your grace, would you restore me? Maybe it's your own heart. Maybe some people in your life and some relationships that you you just wanna pray, God, would you rescue Would you redeem? Would you restore?
Jesus, we come to you as the fulfillment, the ultimate completion of God's mission. And by faith, Lord, we just acknowledge you are the one who rescues. You are the one who redeems. And you are the one who restores. And Lord, we, by faith, look forward to the day when that mission is complete and we stand on the new heaven and the new earth and, the, and we live in the dwelling place of God in your presence because of your grace and your goodness. Lord, those things in our lives, in our own hearts, in our world, that we just, we grieve over because of the brokenness of sin. We bring those to you right now. And Lord, we just trust you to complete your mission. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want us to close with the Lord's Prayer as a benediction. So say this out loud with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Mosaic.